start in Ephesians. It's interesting. Yesterday, Terry was doing some work in the attic, getting some hand-me-down clothes this time of year to transition to some new stuff. And Grant found an old high school memorabilia box in the attic. And uh, what was interesting about that is we looked through the pictures and different things from a long, long time ago. And uh, one of the things I found were notes that I'd taken not too long after I had become a believer in high school. And they were on, guess what? Ephesians chapter 1. Isn't that neat? Well, like we try to do, or I try to do each time we begin a new series, I want to give you a little background so that you can get to know the people that Paul is writing to in hopes that it helps us better understand what he has to say. So to begin with, I want to tell you a little bit about the city of Ephesus. We're going to look at the letter to the Ephesians, so let's get to know the city a little bit. Ephesus was a really important city during Paul's day. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So you had Rome, Athens, and then Ephesus. And Ephesus was the most important city in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey is where it's located, but in that time, it was the most important city in that area. It was a center for commerce, for religion, for politics. And so this was a very strategic place for Paul to be and to carry out his work of ministry. There were some really impressive things that that exist in uh, the city of Ephesus that tell us a little bit about how grand it was. One of those things was this theater in Ephesus. It's a 25,000-seat theater built into the side of the mountain there in Ephesus. Just to kind of put things in perspective, I did this for Roger because it compares it to Wrigley Field where the Cubs play. But it'll give you some appreciation of how big this was. And in the structure, many, uh, a lot of which remains today. This is what it looks like in modern day, and that was built back in Paul's day. It's a beautiful place, um, and you can see it kind of built into the side of the mountain. This shows the main street walking up to that theater. One of the reasons that this is important and relates to what we'll be talking about, you may remember a man by the name of Demetrius, a silversmith, who was really upset with the impact that Paul was having in his ministry during Ephesus. Well, he caused a, 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 brought a big rally together, brought the city together, and they met in that amphitheater. And that's where that rally took place, was in that theater. So one of the reasons that he was so upset was because people who were converting to Christianity were no longer buying things that he was making in the worship to pagan gods. And we know that there was a lot of different kinds of worship that took place during that time, Probably the most significant was the worship of a goddess named Ar Artemis or Diana in, in the Roman. Artemis is Greek, Diana is Roman. And her temple was outside the city gates. And the reason I think that's the case is because of how many people came to participate in her worship. It was not just for Ephesus. It was probably the most uh, popular place to go for pagan worship of these Roman gods in all the world at that time. And so this facility that she, this place that was built for her was one of the seven wonders of the world. Okay? It was absolutely huge. The footprint of this temple is the size of a, an American football stadium, including the end zone. So if you could picture yourself in Jones Stadium, you'd be looking down at the size of this temple that was built to Artemis took 220 years to build, and it's completely made out of marble. It's an incredible structure. 
the goddess Artemis um, was figured on the top, uh, in the very beginning of the, or in front of this temple where uh, she was worshipped. And, and the reason she was worshipped is because she was considered to be the caretaker of all creation, both humans and animals. And so if there was a blessing that would come from the gods to in some way enhance your life, it would likely come from Artemis. That's why she was so popular. But what's important to know about this, though, is she was not the only one that was worshipped in this place uh, in, in Ephesus. In fact, there were lots of religions that were common in the city during that time. Probably the most significant influence in terms of worship and religion was the practice of magic, sorcery, witchcraft. In fact, it was so popular, we learn in Acts, and I'll have these scriptures up for you. I'm going to read them from the Bible because I can't read that up there. Um, but I want to give you some perspective of, of what took place. Listen to this. This is in Acts chapter 19. And many of those who practiced magic, speaking of those who lived in Ephesus, brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Here's why that's important. One piece of silver was worth one day's wage. So if you do the math and you have 50,000 pieces of silver combined, that's over 100 years worth of salary. That tells us something about how pervasive this practice was. That doesn't seem to move you very much, so let me just put it in our terms. In my mind, this would be as significant as if Christians collectively decided that they were all going to get rid of their cell phones. Okay, now you need to gasp, okay? <laughs> but honestly, that's what it would have been like. It was so pervasive. It was so much a part of their culture. That's how significant that act would have been during that time. So it tells you a lot about the city. And it tells you a lot about the presence of evil in this city. We know that Paul's first visit to Ephesus took place on the back end of his second missionary journey. He was in Corinth, as you'll remember from our study of the Corinthians. He was there for a year and a half. He left Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila, two people that were a part of his ministry with him, and they went to Ephesus. While they were there, they were received very well by the Ephesians, and they listened to what Paul had to say. And they wanted him to stay longer, but he was on his way to Jerusalem. So he left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus to carry on the work of ministry that had been started, and he promised to return. And he made good on that promise on his third missionary journey. So on that third missionary journey, he makes it to Ephesus. And when he gets there, he remains in Ephesus for almost three years. So a very long time for Paul to stay in one place during his missionary journey so that tells us a lot about the impact of his ministry there he began his ministry as he always did by going into the jewish synagogues and preaching into that context and he did that for about three months and then they didn't like it anymore and they kicked him out and so from that point on he taught daily in a lecture hall let me read to you in acts chapter 19 verse 8 where it describes this it says and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly I actually put that in there, didn't I? Speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and dis, uh, disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them 
and took away the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul had a significant ministry during a significant period of time while he was in Ephesus. He spent a lot of time so that his influence and his message of the gospel spread to both Jews and Greeks all throughout Ephesus and that area of the world. He had a significant impact. But so much so that it probably created such a stir that that's ultimately why Paul had to leave. He was probably run out of town because they didn't want to hear what he had to say anymore. But Paul had a significant influence on the church in Ephesus, the people who came to faith in Christ, and those are the people he's writing to. He writes this letter several years after having spent that time in Ephesus from house arrest in Rome. And it's in Rome that he writes to the Ephesians, of which he had deep love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to encourage them in the truths that I think he probably preached to them while they were there. He wants them to grasp the goodness of their Heavenly Father, the redemption that's found in His Son, Jesus Christ, and the security that they have through the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. All to the praise of God, from whom every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places ultimately comes. This is going to be an incredible study for us to look at. It's an incredible book, um, an incredible letter with so many truths that really have great power in our lives. And I can speak to that personally because I, I don't think of a, another book that has impacted me more than this one. So I'm really excited. So put on your seatbelts. This is going to be fun. Let's pray together. Guys, we come to this wonderful letter from Paul to the Ephesians. We are excited. We are looking forward to what you inspired him to write that was so meaningful to the relationship that he had with these people and the lives that he had invested in while he was there, but also so timeless and so equally as impacting in our lives even today that those truths that were relevant to them are equally as relevant to us. Those truths that were life-transforming to them are equally as life-transforming to us. So, Father, as we've had a chance to get to know a little bit about these people that we're so dear to you and to your Apostle Paul. I pray that we read this with informed hearts and minds so that those same words might penetrate deeply into our lives as well. We need your spirit to guide and direct us, and we want you to be the one who authors these things into our hearts to transform our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, without further ado, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 and 2 is where we'll start. So Ephesians chapter 1. Paul begins the letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, because of the magnitude of Paul's influence, we need to understand that he's not writing to just one single church. There was not a first Baptist church in Ephesus, okay? There were lots of little fellowships of believers in that city and throughout that region. 
And so Paul intended for this letter to which he writes to be read and, and shared among all those people who were impacted by the gospel and had put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he begins by establishing the authority with which he writes. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Understand that as Paul writes these words, he is not trying to in some way communicate that being an apostle was an office that he aspired to, that he somehow worked his way to the top to be an apostle. The truth is, he didn't aspire to be an apostle. He didn't even want to become a person of great influence. Those things all happened, as he says, as he begins this letter, because it was the will of God. And any influence that Paul has is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so he wants to be very clear that he writes with that heart in mind. His authority came from his calling. He was sent by God to declare the, the truths of God, and that's the role of an apostle. And he wanted to be faithful to that role. Now, I want you to know that even as he establishes the authority with, it, with which he writes, he's also making it clear that he doesn't, he's not any different than anybody else. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father. He understands that he too is saved by grace. He, he too had faith in Jesus Christ. He was loved by God the Father, just as they are. And so salvation in his mind is a work of God. And so for that reason, he's no different than anyone else to which he writes. And Paul is writing to, to help them live out the truths of what he is teaching them. And I believe even as he himself is trying to do so as well. Look at how he continues in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're going to stop there because there's a whole lot just in that one single verse. But what's interesting is the beginning in verse 3 going to verse 14 in the original Greek text, it's one long 202-word sentence. Okay? And the reason that's important is because it tells you something about the passion with which Paul is writing. And if you think about it, it's really not too different than us when we are maybe saying a prayer of thanksgiving and, and praise to God. It's hard to know where to stop once you start in on something like that. I don't know if any of you were up early enough this morning to see the sunrise. But it was once again another beautiful sunrise. And you see something like that and, and your heart just wants to say, God, thank you for the beauty of your creation." the sunrise and, and the reminder that your mercies are new every morning. And what a privilege to come together with brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can worship you, our faithful God, our loving Father, who, who gave his life for us, who sent his son to die on the cross, that we might be his, adopted into his family. We are your children, and, and we are so grateful for your love and goodness. Where do you stop? You get the point? <laughs> And I believe that that's what Paul is doing as he's beginning this letter, as he enters in to this understanding of what it means to be chosen by the Father, to be saved by the Son, to be sealed by the Spirit. And he's so much into the praise and glory and honor of what all this means, it's hard to know where to stop. Therefore, you have a 202-word sentence. And that's how Paul begins his letter. 
But I do want you to understand how he communicates as he begins to unpack what all this means. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Paul wants us to know right up front that God holds nothing back. He does not partition out his favor. It is not based on merit or somehow gained by certain acts. You have everything you need for life and for godliness. It's very much like what Paul said in uh, First Pe- or Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We have everything. Everything that we need according to all life and godliness. And God gives us that freely and without restraint. But notice that those blessings come with a purpose. Paul wants us to walk in the good works that that he prepared beforehand. These are things not to just kind of sit back and, and admire But these are things that he intends for us to to know from experience, to appreciate by living them out in our lives. Paul's not writing to expand their knowledge. He's writing to to deepen their experience so they learn to live out those truths of what it means to have all the spiritual blessings. And I want you to notice, too, that... um, Let me back up. I want you to notice as you look at that passage that those blessings are spiritual blessings. They're not earthly material blessings that are here today and gone tomorrow. The fact that they're spiritual blessings is important because it tells us something about their value. It tells us that they last forever. Spiritual blessings are eternal. They come from heavenly places and they will continue there as well. And I want you to think about this in the context of Artemis, okay? Remember what we said about her and why she was worshipped. She was considered to be uh, the one who gave good gifts, right, for, for life in this world. And Paul is saying, no, we worship a God who goes far beyond that because the good gifts that he gives us are spiritual. And they not only impact your lives now, but they actually carry on into heaven and exist for eternity, That's where he wants our minds to go. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. You've heard this before. It says, If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Here's the point. Paul wants us to live according to the realm of in which we belong. And so he gives us spiritual blessings that have the power to not only impact our lives right here and now, but they carry on to impact us for all eternity. That's what it means to have those spiritual blessings. God has given us everything we need to live an abundant life in Christ in both places. (laughs) Please understand that there's no disconnect 
between what we have now and what we have in heaven because what we have now carries on into heaven and only grows more grand whenever we live there in the presence of God in the absence of all sin. But he wants to begin the process of transforming our lives and preparing our lives for heaven right here and now. And that's the important part of understanding what these spiritual blessings are and what they're intended to be and why they're so good and so different from anything else that you might ever experience in this world. Look at how he continues in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to an adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. As we've talked about before, the plan of salvation was in place before the world began. Before we ever made a choice to rebel against God, our Heavenly Father made a choice to save us. And not by some random act. He didn't roll the dice. He based this decision on infinite knowledge. It was His loving grace that brought peace to our broken lives. He took the initiative. And anything that we do is in response to His act of love towards us. For example, I want you to think about Abraham for a minute, okay? I want you to think about Abraham and God's calling in his life. And as you do that, I want you to think about what made Abraham unique. What made him different than everybody else that lived in the world during that time? What made him special? Any thoughts? You can think long and hard, and here's the answer. Nothing. Nothing. He was just like everybody else around him, but he responded in faith to God's call upon his life, and then his life became the example of all to follow. God said, follow the example of Abraham and his example of faith. That's what it means to be rightly related to God. Let me give you another example. Think about Israel, God's chosen people, right? Well, what made Israel special? What made Israel different than anybody else in the world that lived on the earth at that time? Again, you can think long and hard, but I'll tell you the answer. Nothing. Nothing made them any different than anyone else. And God makes that clear when he describes in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Listen to this. Speaking of God's chosen people, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord bought you, brought you from out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh king. Of Egypt. He's making the point that, that there wasn't anything that the people of God did to merit his favor. It was based on God's love and his faithfulness, faithfulness to his promise. The reason I bring that up is because when you think about Abraham, when you think about Israel, I want you to think about you. Look at what Peter says when he writes it in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think it should bring us great comfort to know and understand that God's actions were determined by his infinite knowledge and his amazing grace. It wasn't random. It wasn't earned. It was perfect love received by humble faith. I know it's hard for us to get our minds around that truth, but here's the beauty. We don't have to have a complete understanding because God has made our hearts with the ability to believe, even in the absence of understanding all the details. It's called faith. And that's the way God works. It's been his design since before creation began. Our trust in him is what ultimately opens the floodgates to the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. And those blessings come with a purpose. Look at what it says in verse 4 again. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Those blessings have a purpose. That purpose is to make us holy and blameless. In other words, they come with the power to transform our lives. Now, this is not new information to you. We just talked about this last week when we talked about what it means to be a new creation in Christ. How old things have gone and, and new things have, have come. God didn't choose us because we were holy. He chose us in order to make us holy. He's preparing us for heaven. And what that when that work is complete and, and, and full, and we need to remember that what happens on earth carries over into heaven. The work that he's doing in your life now matters for eternity. Because those good works last, not just for life on earth, but life with him. The spiritual blessings have the power to impact your life in both places. While we're here, we're called to be conformed into his image. And that's important because we want to be able to represent who it is that we serve. He's our heavenly father, and as his child, we want to represent and, and reflect his character to the world around us. The blessings of God empower us for life on earth as they prepare us for life in heaven. And he created us with that purpose in mind. And I want you to know that what he begins in you, he will carry on into all eternity. That's what he says in Philippians chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 6. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus when that promise is made complete. But everything that he's doing in your life right now that is according to these spiritual blessings that come through faith in God, our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, are made powerful to change us for eternity. That's how significant this is. And I want you to understand that that promise is not dependent on something that you must do. This is dependent only on what God has done. Look again at verse 5. 
He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will. You see, when we were born, here's what we need to understand. When we were born, we belonged to our father, the devil. We were born in sin. And so we lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging in the selfish desires of the flesh. The scripture tells us we were children of wrath, sons of disobedience. That was our family of origin, so to speak. But God predetermined, even while we were yet sinners, to adopt us as his own. The spiritual blessings that come from our Heavenly Father include all the rights and privileges of what it means to be a child of God, to be a son and daughter of the King. Romans describes to us what that looks like. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's a powerful, powerful message of the love our Father has for us to adopt us as, our own, as his own. And this means something particularly special to us and our family. <laughs> Grant Isaac Sapisa is our son. Before he was born, God put him on our hearts. Before he was born. And God made a way for him to be a part of our family. And there are a few things there is nothing in our life that has brought us more delight than the privilege to have him in our family. These are some pictures of those first days when Grant came home to his family. And as our adopted son, there is no distinction between him and his brother Graham. They are both our sons, and they have equal rights and privileges as our sons. And we so desire for them to live with the understanding of the great love that their mom and dad have for them, both. And ultimately, we want them to know that there is nothing that can separate them from the love of God, their Heavenly Father, which is in Christ Jesus from whom we have all been adopted as children of God. You see, in a similar way, even before you and I were born, we were on God's heart. Even before you and I were born, he made a way for us to be a part of his family, to belong to him. And those actions were 
according to the kind intention of his will. In other words, he didn't feel sorry for us. He wasn't in some way obligated or frustrated. And it tells us it brought him great pleasure to adopt us as his own. That word kind intention in in verse 5 literally means his good pleasure. It was based on his love, freely determined. A love that would not allow anything to stand in the way. That's how important you are in the eyes of your heavenly Father. See, God took the initiative and he made us his own. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We have everything we need to be who he ultimately created us to be. And that's why he wants us to live our lives in a way that bring glory and honor to him. To to live out of all the blessings that he has bestowed upon us as his children. Sons and daughters of the king. Look at how he continues that in verse 6. He says, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. We're going to see that phrase repeated three times in this 202-word sentence. Or, yeah, sentence. He, we're chosen by the Father to the praise and glory of his grace. We're saved by the Son to the praise and glory of his grace. We are sealed by the Spirit to the praise and glory of his grace. When the love of God overflows into the life of his children, We are covered by his grace. And when we walk in the reality of that grace, we bring glory to his name. Remember, the blessings of God are not those to be passively admired, to somehow look at them from a distance. Instead, they are to be actively experienced. God wants us to walk in the good works that he prepared beforehand. He wants us to to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to be conformed into his image so that we reflect the character of the one who has saved us and set us free. And keep in mind, as verse 6 tells us, what we received was not out of obligation, not out of frustration. It was freely bestowed. No strings attached. No hidden agenda. God's love is unmerited, It is undeniable. It is pure and undefiled. So walk in the spiritual blessings of what it means to be loved by God. And yes, he is a good, good father. In the end, how we live ultimately says something about what we believe. How we live ultimately says something about what we believe. Once again, this makes me think of my son, Grant. I know that he's secure in his love because of the affection and love that he has towards others. Every single night. Not once a week. Not once a month. Not every once in a while. Every single night. He prays for Mr. Bob and Miss Karen Nyland. Every single night, he prays for the Kennedys that they would know that even when they're sad and they miss their son, Jayton, that he's in heaven and they will see him again every night. Every single night, 
He prays that I will do good on my sermon. (laughs) And Lord knows I need that help. (laughs) But that's his heart. And the reason that I know that my sweet son is secure in his love is because how freely he gives it away. And when you are secure in the love of God, the very same thing will be true for you. The love we give should be an overflow of the love that we have received. Not a love to sit back and admire, but one that comes from an abiding relationship. That that word has action attached to it. It it means that we're walking with Christ. We're seeking his truth. We're reading his word with an appetite to learn and grow in our faith in him. Abiding in him. Not an obligation or manipulation to somehow get what we need because we've already learned we have everything we need at the moment we believe. So we want to live out of gratitude, given the fact that we already have what we need. We want to understand what those blessings are and to live accordingly. And ultimately, how you live is a reflection of what you believe. Let me give you another example. When you believe that God has chosen you to be holy and blameless, you will be unwilling to live in brokenness. Here's what I mean. We all struggle with sin. We all deal with things that trip us up. But if you are a child of God, you are no longer enslaved by sin. Sin is no longer your master. Satan is no longer your father. You belong to the creator of the world. You are a child of the king. And he is a good, good father. Let me give you an example. You've heard this from uh, the uh, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking, and I want you to listen to what he says. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, he who knew no sin, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? See, we, even in our sinfulness, are never going to stop loving our kids, no matter what happens in their lives. There is nothing that can separate us from that. And yet, how does that even begin to compare to the love of our Heavenly Father that He has for us? He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There is nothing you can ever do to earn my love or lose my love. Because before the day you were born, you were on my heart, and I made the decision for you to become my child. And my heart's desire, the thing that brings me the greatest pleasure, is to see you live out of the blessings of love that I have freely bestowed upon you. No strings attached. (laughs) So walk in his love. Don't just be passive in prayer. Walk in his love. 
Yes, be prayerful. Be submissive. Surrender to the Lord, but walk in His love. Again, how you live is a reflection of what you believe. I don't want you to lose sight of how incredible it is to consider what we have talked about this morning. You've been chosen by the Father. And He's a good, good Father. He's motivated by His grace to bring peace to your life. No matter where you are, let me encourage you, in light of what we've talked about, run to His arms. Rest in His presence. Trust in Him. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us that way. He's working in our lives today in ways that will last for all eternity. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He will never give up. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He wants us to become everything he ultimately created us to be. He's preparing us for heaven. And so we never want to separate what we do here on earth with what will ultimately take place for all eternity. We want to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. His love for us is freely bestowed. No hidden agenda, no strings attached. Unmerited, undeniable, pure, and undefiled. If that doesn't get you to a place where you want to say a 202-word sentence of praise, I don't know what will. So let your life be a reflection of what you believe. Walk in the spiritual blessings of what it means to be loved by the Father. And yes, he is a good, good father. So with that in mind, Mark's going to come up, and we're going to sing that song again. But I hope now that we've walked through this passage together that you will be able to sing those words with an informed heart that is full of praise. So let's do that together. If you would, go ahead and stand.
So this morning, I know that we all hear those words from a different perspective. Some of us hear those words, and they're very comforting <laughs> to know that you can rest in the presence of a heavenly Father who loves you deeply. Some of you hear those words, and you question whether that love can really pertain to you who have failed so often and in so many different ways. And let me just assure you, they do. They do. Some of you may be asking and wondering if those words apply to you because they're new. You've not heard that before. And let me tell you this. If those words resonate in your heart, if there are things that tell you that you are loved by God and your heart hears those words and you want to receive that love, then those words are meant for you. And you know that there are no strings attached. There's no hidden agenda. It's freely bestowed from a good, good father who loves you deeply. And he's given you everything you need for life and for godliness, not just now, but for all eternity. So let me pray for us. Father, where do we begin? <laughs> and how do we end? When we think about all that we have in you, because of what you've done for us, your great love bestowed upon us in grace and mercy before the day we were born, we were on your heart, and you made a way. And you made that way through the life of your son, his death on the cross, and the forgiveness of sins that we have when we put our faith and trust in him. What a blessing to know that we don't have to do anything to earn that, that we don't have to have some special uh, abilities or some special faith, but instead it's a simple faith of trust in you. And in that moment of faith, the promises that we looked at this morning are forever true. That we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I pray this week that all of us may understand and live that more fully and more freely so that who, what we believe will be reflected in how we live and may we represent the Father who has saved us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Have a great day.